Moses said, Please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. This is God's word. Amen. You may be seated. We started this series last month uh, looking at the book of Exodus and the wandering of, of God's people Israel um, in the wilderness. Um, we um, saw our time uh, looking for a building and, and being uncertain about the future of where we would worship as a kind of wilderness that the Lord is leading us into. And we're continuing that today, looking at Exodus 33 and 34. Before we dig into the word, let me pray for us and ask for God's help. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this word, that you are a God who reveals yourself, that you reveal yourself in glory, that you reveal yourself in grace. God, help us to see you for the gracious God that you are. Help us to love you with our whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. Help us to respond to this word in faith. And may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. For you are our rock and our redeemer. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So do you ever watch uh, crime shows or cop shows on TV? And you know how in a, in a cop show, when they, when they arrest someone, they bring them into an interrogation room and there's always a mirror on the wall. And, it, and it's like a, a two-way mirror where you know that somebody's standing on the other side of the mirror looking in. And, and, and observing this, this person being interrogated. I hate the idea of having someone on the other side of a mirror looking at me without me being able to see them. Like, I hate that idea. In the mall that I, I grew up in, or next to um, growing up, there, there was a... <laughs> I didn't grow up in the mall. I am a child of the 90s, however, and spent a lot of time in the mall. Uh, you could say I, I lived there. Um, but, but at the food court in the mall, there was this wall that had a really big window. And I knew that, that, that it was a two-way mirror and that there were people standing on the other side of that mirror looking at me. And I used to make faces and gestures at the mirror because I hated the idea of someone seeing me without me being able to see them. As I read this, this passage and reflected on it and prepared to, to, to teach on it this morning, I felt this passage and, and, and really scripture as a whole being something like a two-way mirror. 
that, that we look at the words of the Bible and we see them as words that, that we're reading and that we're taking in and that we're having opinions and forming ideas about, but really so much of, of my experience of reading the passage this week, and really as I think about it, my, my experience of reading the Bible as a whole throughout my life, is that the Bible is like a two-way mirror. It's not just me reading words, it's God reading me too. That God's word looks into my heart. That God sees me, sees who I am. I think I'm safe reading scripture. But God is is opening up my heart and and doing surgery on me as as I read his word each day. This passage is about Israel and Moses, something that happened, you know, thousands of years ago. But because the Bible's like a two-way mirror, it's also somewhat about us. That God wants to look into our hearts today and work in us. That God wants to lead us to himself so that we can experience communion with him. That we can enter into union, participation, communion with him. That's what this passage is all about. And the the verse that stuck out for me as I reflected on this passage this week was verse 18 of chapter 33, where Moses prays to God, now show me your glory. So much of this passage hangs on that prayer. And I want to spend some time unpacking that first. Moses' prayer to God is show me your glory. Now, in the story of Exodus, Israel had just prayed a similar prayer. Israel had just asked, show me your glory. But Israel didn't ask it of God. See, if you know the story of Exodus and you know that that God had led his people in the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire at night, God had led his people to Mount Sinai. And and God's people are at Mount Sinai, they're at the foot of the mountain, they're not even allowed to touch the mountain because that's how holy God is, how holy um, his presence is on that place. And and so Israel is there at the foot of the mountain and Moses is invited by God to come up the mountain. So Moses goes up to meet with God, to experience real face-to-face communion with God while Israel is down the mountain. And, And after a while, a week goes by, Two weeks, three weeks, 40 days go by, and there's still no Moses. And Israel starts to get antsy. They're like, what are we supposed to do with this? Like, where did Moses go? Where is God? Where where are we going? Why are we still sitting here? What's going on? And they ask, show me your glory, but not not of God, but of their gold. If you read the story of them leaving Egypt, they, they plundered the Egyptians. The Egyptians were like, like take, take anything. We don't care. Just get out of our land. The, 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 the Egyptians had all lost their firstborn sons in the plagues. And, and so Egypt, the Egyptians were like, okay, like, like take my earrings out. Take, take like my, my, my money out of my safe. Like just take anything. Just leave. Get out of Egypt as quickly as you possibly can. So Israel had, had, was weighed down with gold as they walked into the wilderness. Not much you can do with gold in the wilderness, except what they did in in chapter 32 of Exodus. 
which was they, they made a golden calf with their gold. They, they went to Aaron and said, we don't know where Moses is. We don't know where this God is that brought us here, but we want a God to worship. So you need to make us an idol. You need to make us a statue with all this gold that we've accumulated. And that's what Aaron does. Aaron was Moses' brother and a co-leader with him of Israel. Israel looked at all this wealth that they'd accumulated sitting in the middle of the wilderness where they couldn't spend a dime of it. And they looked at their money and said, show me your glory. And out of the glory of their wealth came this golden calf that they then had to repent of worshiping. And that's why Moses prays what he does in Exodus 34, verse 9, where he says to God, now please let the Lord go in the midst of us. Come back. Like, don't be separate from us as we've separated ourselves from you with our idolatry. For it is a stiff neck to stubborn people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take, for us, take us for your inheritance. The conversation that Moses is having with God leading up to him saying to God, show me your glory, is God, please don't leave. Like Whatever you do, I know that Israel, my people, the people that you've called me to lead out of Egypt, I know that we're stiff-necked. I know that we've sinned. I know that we've distanced ourselves from you. I know that we're looking for glory and created things and not in you. But God, please don't go. Moses, is, is, it sounds like he's pleading with, with a woman that, that he's had a romantic relationship with, that he's cheated on. And God often describes his relationship with Israel as a marriage where he is constantly being cheated on by his people. And yet, God doesn't leave. God comes back and back and back. Israel has cheated on God with the golden calf, looking for glory in, in money, in wealth, in gold. Because they didn't say Show me your glory to God. They said it to created things. They put distance between themselves and God. And if we're honest with ourselves, we do this all of the time. We commit that same offense against God all of the time. We say, show me your glory to things in this world that we can see, rather than God, all of the time. Uh, this weekend, Kathy and I, my wife, we, we watched uh, the movie Lady Bird that came out in 2017. And uh, there, are, um, there are several cringeworthy moments in the movie, especially as a father of three daughters. It really, it really hurt me to watch several scenes because uh, Lady Bird is a story of a, of a young woman growing up um, and kind of coming of age in her teenage years, leaving high school and going into college in Sacramento. And... Uh, there's this, there's this scene in the movie where she is going to have sex for the first time with a boy. And, and she's like been imagining this, dreaming about this, like can't wait uh, for this, this, this thing to finally happen to her. And she goes and, and she sleeps with this boy and um, she is just like basking in the afterglow of this wonderful experience and she kind of snuggles up close to him and says, you know, look, we, we both... You know, we lost our virginity together. This is our, this is our both of our first time. And, and the boy that she slept with kind of looks at her sideways and is like, this wasn't my first time. And, and all of a sudden, in the moment, like there's, it's this brilliant scene where she does this total 180, where she was 
like just basking in this, this wonderful experience that she just had. And all of a sudden, that truth drops on her and turns her heart, and she becomes upset, angry, alone, frustrated, deceived, because she was convinced that what she was going into was something completely different than what it actually was. She had gone to sex and said to sex, show me your glory. And she got to the end of it and realized that it could not satisfy her. It would not fulfill her. How many of us look at ourselves in the mirror and say to ourselves before we go to bed or when we wake up in the morning, say to ourselves in the mirror, show me your glory. And then watch the Super, Time half, Super Bowl halftime show and Jennifer Lopez at age 50 flaunting her stuff and you're like, well, she's got glory. I don't know if I do. Or guys, watch Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and see Brad Pitt at age 56 taking his shirt off. And you're like, I never had that kind of glory. I never will. It's just never going to happen for me, you know? But so often we, we get down on ourselves. We, we almost, we, we wrestle with image of ourselves because we're saying to ourselves in the mirror, show me your glory. And, and we, we never get to the glory that we desire. Our created bodies even don't satisfy us. We say, show me your glory to created things in this world because we want communion. We want participation in a glory that is greater than what we possess. That desire for glory, it reveals a spiritual hunger in us that we all long to satisfy at the depths of our soul. And all of us at one time or another, and some of us every day, all of our waking hours are spent trying to fulfill that hunger with created things, with things that we can see. Some of us look at our families and say, show me your glory, and put more pressure on the behavior of our children than than they could possibly bear. Some of us look at our careers and say, show me your glory. And, and sweat and, and, and put pressure on ourselves and pull all-nighters and do whatever it takes to get to the next level, the next rung of the career ladder. Some of us look at vacation and say, show me your glory. I mean, we're going to go, my family and I are going on vacation this next week, and we're going to go to London, and it's going to be great, and we're going to say, show me your glory to London. And if we're not careful, then we're going to look at all the beautiful, wonderful sightseeing things that we're going to do, and we're going to expect some kind of spiritual satisfaction from that. And if we live for the next vacation, that's what we're doing. Some of us look at food, whether the quantity or the quality of it, and say, show me your glory. Some of us look at drink and still don't find the glory until we get to the bottom of the bottle and then don't find it. We look at our relationships, at physical beauty. We look at at video games or money or sex, saying to all the things in our lives, show me your glory, and we never find it. A theologian named uh, James K.A. Smith says this about... um, about this idea. He says, our restlessness is a reflection of what we try to enjoy as an end in itself. 
what we look to as a place to land. The heart's hunger is infinite, which is why it will ultimately be disappointed with anything merely finite. Humans are those strange creatures who can never be fully satisfied by anything created. Our hunger, he says, is infinite, which is why anything finite, even ourselves, even that person that we we long to be with, anything finite will not satisfy us. That's why the Rolling Stones sang, I can't get no satisfaction, because none of us can. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that we do this. So ask yourself the question, how much of my time, how much of my life do I spend trying to find the glories, find something ultimately satisfying in this world. I mean, think about how much of our economic activity, uh, how much of our cultural activity is built on pursuing glory and created things that cannot deliver. This is the definition of idolatry, where we look at something that God has made and say to it, show me your glory where we say to anything in the world and ask it to satisfy us. And committing that, doing that, looking for glory in created things only puts distance between us and God. It only puts distance between us and God. And not only does it distance us from God, but it doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't deliver. Because everything that, that we have in this world, that we seek to find glory in, inevitably turns to dust in our hands. Idolatry doesn't work. So what does work? What won't turn to dust in our hands? As I've been meditating on, on Exodus 33 and 34, I'm remembered, reminded of another passage in the Bible that that is something of an extended meditation on Exodus 33 and 34. And if everything created turns to dust in our hands, we remember in Psalm 103 that that even we are dust. It says in, in Psalm 103 verse 14 that God knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. As for man... His days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. We hunger for glory. We can't find it in this world. We don't even find it in ourselves. But then we read the next verse, verse 17 of Psalm 103, that says, reflecting on what what God reveals to Moses, but the steadfast love of the Lord It's from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him and his righteousness to children's children. Right before that that verse that says that we are dust, it says in verse 11, again, reflecting on God's self-revelation as a God who is gracious and steadfast loving, it says that for high as, as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does God remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, 
So the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. When when Moses goes to God and says to God, begs of him, pleads with him, prays to him, show me your glory, this is what God says. He can't see God. But in Exodus 34, verse 6 and 7, Moses sees God's glory with his ears. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. God's glory is shown in his grace. God's glory, the only glory that can satisfy, is shown in his grace. Moses sees it for what it is. Moses knows that this is the fulfillment, the the, the longing, the hunger in his soul and every soul for the glory that we want participation in. And so in verse 8 it says that he bowed his head to the earth and worshipped. It takes true communion with God takes true fellowship with him, true unity with him to break us of this habit of saying to things on this earth, show me your glory. It takes God coming to us, meeting us with his grace to break us of that habit, to satisfy our hunger, our longings. And so how do we get it? How do we get access to this glory that that God has in store for us? Do do we do what Moses did and travel to to the Sinai Peninsula between Egypt and and, and the the Asian continent and and find a mountain, Mount Sinai, and and go there to to get God to, to give us his glory? No. Do we go on pilgrimage? Maybe going to Jerusalem or Rome, some holy place, and that's where we'll see God's glory. Should we go on a, on a monastic retreat, keep silent for, for days and turn in our smartphone at the door? Or maybe go to some like mega conference with laser lights and awesome music and have a real experience? No. Because no matter what, no matter what, our seeking, our efforts, our attempts to get that glory will never arrive. We'll never actually get there. It's not us reaching up to glory that will satisfy. No, God in his grace has to reach down to us and lift us up to his glory. We do not find glory No, glory comes down to find us. That's the message of the gospel. In John chapter 1, verse 14, it says that God the Son, the second person of the Trinity, God himself, the Word, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we now, because he did so, have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full 
grace and truth. The Apostle Paul, reflecting on, on, on this reality that, that Moses had gone up the mountain and had, had to come down with his, his, a veil over his face because seeing God's glory with his ears, just hearing God's word, hearing God's name proclaimed over him, made his, made his face shine with the glory of God. And recognizing that, Paul kind of uses that as a metaphor for what it takes for us to see God and to actually put our faith in Him. And he says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, that in the case of those who haven't seen God, in their case the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe to keep them from seeing the lights of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as servants for your sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And then in Colossians 1, we want to see God, if we want to see God's glory, Colossians 1 tells us that, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things. And in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God, all the glory of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood his cross. God's glory, the greatest glory of God across all history was demonstrated to us in the death of his son Jesus. God's glory is shown in his grace, in his unfailing, amazing love for people like us who need him to come and rescue. God, by His grace, doesn't just, doesn't just save us, doesn't just rescue us from ourselves and our, and our, and our addiction to, to created things and our addiction to looking for glory in things that, that will not satisfy. But God actually lifts us up out of the dust, unites us to Him by faith, gives us communion with Himself through His Son, and makes us participants in the glory of God. You ever seen Pinocchio? What was it that Pinocchio wanted more than anything else in the world? What did he want? To be a real boy. Pinocchio wanted to be a real boy. He wanted to become what he knew he was destined for, what he was convinced was his destiny. And if you, you know, watch the, the movie or read the, the story, you know that, that he goes all over the world looking for a way to become a real boy. And something like that drives our desire for glory as well. That's why the, the story resonates with us. 
because it echoes in our own hearts. Because we all have a desire for glory. It's why we look for it everywhere we turn. And we don't just want to see glory. We don't just want to experience it for a moment. We want to be embraced by it. We want to be participants in glory. Our desire for glory as human beings is like Pinocchio's desire to be a real boy. We want to be united with glory. We want to be changed into that glorious image. And God tells us that we have a way to do that now because of Christ. In that same passage in 2 Corinthians where Paul talks about how how, how Moses had the veiled face after having heard God's word on the mountain, says to us in 2 Corinthians 3.17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, and we all now, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord in Christ, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. We don't have the opportunity to see God's glory with our physical eyes. Paul's not talking about a visible manifestation of the glory of God like Israel might have had at the foot of the mountain. No, our seeing is like Moses is seeing. Moses didn't see God in his glory. Moses was kind of hidden by in a rock and God covered over him and then God proclaimed his name over him. Moses saw God with his ears. You and I have the opportunity to see God with our ears, to hear his word and trust what God's word says. We have the chance to see God's glory by faith. We believe we put our trust in the God who gave all things for us and welcomes us into fellowship, into participation with himself, into communion with him. And sometimes that's really hard. And if I'm honest, through this whole like building search process, it's been really hard for me to believe this stuff that I've been saying for the last 25 minutes. That God is as glorious as he says he is. That God is as trustworthy as he says he is. There have been times where I have literally said in the last couple of months, God does not love me. He might love all of you, but God doesn't love me because he's not giving me a building. Because I'm guilty of this. I've said to a building in Alameda, show me your glory. Show me, Al- show me your glory, Alameda, a permanent location for Grace Church Alameda. I don't know why. I don't know why that was like my fixation. But it's, it's just that much clearer that my, my ultimate desire to find a building for us wasn't so that like I could get some financial benefit from it. It wasn't so that, like, I don't know, my name would be put up somewhere. Like, it wasn't any, it was, it was like, I wanted to serve my church. I wanted to, like, serve my church family and love all of you and be able to give you a morning service kind of a thing. And that somehow got twisted. Like, that loving desire to serve got twisted in my own heart to become like, nope, God doesn't love me. God doesn't love me. He's not giving us a building. 
And it's just further evidence that we are capable, because of how broken we are, because of how broken I am, we are able to make an idol out of anything. But reflecting on this passage this week, with the two-way mirror of God's word, God looking into me, seeing me, reading me, I realize that I need to come to God. I need to repent of that posture of heart. I need to say that I'm sorry, and I have been. I need to repent of that faithlessness. And I need to believe again that God is who he says he is, that he is good, that he is loving, and that God's glory shows up in our lives by grace, not through my efforts. And when I say to God, show me your glory, God responds by saying, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Even after you have said, show me your glory to everything on this earth, to created things, to yourself, to your spouse, to your job, to anything, God is still there. God is still waiting for you with open arms, loving you, here for you, inviting you to come. I am, he says, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, full of compassion and steadfast, faithful love for you. And if you see nothing else today, then see him looking at you, loving you, finding you by his grace. Father, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. I confess my own sin and faithlessness. That, God, I haven't looked to you first and foremost. That I haven't trusted you through this building search process. But God, I praise you that your word says that even when we are faithless, you remain faithful. Thank you, God, for being a faithful God. Thank you for being compassionate, for understanding our weakness, for showing up when we're weak. Because when we are weak, you, God, are strong. Father, help us to believe that that is true. Please open our hearts, God, by your Spirit. And please help us, Lord, not to look to the things of this world for the thing that we long for, the thing that only you can satisfy us in. May we not look to this world and say, show me your glory. Father, may we come to you with that request, with that prayer on our lips, and know that we will receive an answer from you through the work of your Son, the Lord Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.